Volume Two, Chapter Six of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, Petrel's Rest. A mysterious note was brought to General Falcon one morning, just before the break-up of the Stonehenge party. The messenger had orders to wait. The note was addressed in a bold, slanting hand. It was sealed and impressed with a curiously twisted monogram and ran thus petrel's rest june the bearer of this will have a carriage at the stonehenge arms in which you can be brought here at once i want particularly to see you and i don't want any fuss made about my sending for you or about my presence in this neighbourhood though there is no reason why the facts shouldn't be chronicled in the county newspapers j s Falcon sent a message to the effect that he would be at the Stonehenge Arms in half an hour. He made a short cut through the park and was at the lodge gate soon after the bearer of the missive had passed through. He found a quiet-looking dog-cart standing in front of the inn with a foreign servant beside it. The man touched his hat and asked in German if he were the gentleman going to Petrel's rest. Falcon got into the vehicle and was driven at a rapid trot along the lanes in the direction of the sea. The country about Stonehenge Park was well-wooded and garden-like, with here and there a patch of pine forest which gave variety and picturesqueness to the landscape. Nearer the coast it grew wilder and more barren-looking. Bleak downs and wastes of moorland with scarcely any sign of habitation rising gradually and then an abrupt dip, as if a sort of natural rampart guarded the jagged fringe of land, which, with its beetling cliffs, its hidden gulfs and inlets, and its rugged forbidding appearance, suggested thoughts of medieval romance and tales of smuggling and piracy and dark and dangerous deeds. Nothing could have been more isolated than the situation of Petrel's Rest, it was four miles from the nearest railway station, and there was scarcely a hamlet or even a cottage within sight of it. The little tongue of land upon which it was built jutted out in the centre of a gloomy bay, closed in by lofty promontories that terminated in bold precipices of black rock. From the moorland one seemed to look down upon the grey, beacon-like tower, the foundations of which were washed on three sides by the waters of the bay but after passing through the belt of pine-wood that stretched from the downs to the very gates of the place it was difficult to believe that the country at the back was in reality higher the cliff seemed so like a mountain crag the still bay with its rocky walls so like a lake while the descent from the tower platform was so perpendicular that without going to the very edge of the terrace it was almost impossible to realize that the sea lay so close below the castle had evidently been fortified at one period of its history. Part of it had fallen into ruin, and indeed the square tower and a small wing of more modern date, built on at the back, seemed the only portions fit for habitation. It stood in a kind of courtyard with great iron gates and a stone archway carved with armorial bearings. The gates stood open now, but one could well fancy the clang with which they might close upon some hapless prisoner or little band of armed desperadoes. The place seemed a survival of feudal times, and in its grayness, its look of age, its fortress-like simplicity, 
seemed so strangely out of keeping as a background with the personality of lady saxon brilliant modern meretricious that falcon was set wandering and speculating upon the motive which induced her at times to seclude herself in so impregnable an airy she does not bring her husband here with her he said to himself with a grim smile i should like to know who has been given the key of those rusty gates he was admitted by another foreign servant an elderly man whose face seemed familiar to the eyes of the old general it was falcon's boast that he never forgot the countenance of any man or woman with whom he had once conversed for ten minutes i think that i've seen you before he said you used to receive dr langenwelt's patients i was in the service of the late baron langenwelt replied the man bowing general falcon began to understand that lady saxon might find it convenient to employ foreign servants in this residence of hers and especially servants who had known her as madame langenwelt doubtless they were well paid he followed the butler through a dim hall lined with tapestry and in which a fire of pine wood burned brightly and into a sort of boudoir where it was evident from the gorgeous coloring the heavy eastern carpets the magnificent hangings the luxurious divans and fantastic parisian knick-knacks that lady saxon's taste reigned supreme there was a fire here also bowls of roses were scattered about a stack of french novels lay on a bookstand near one of the couches on which was stretched the skin of a leopard the effigy of an indian god held a jewelled casket which was open and filled with the most exquisite sweetmeats lady saxon was not in the room the servant told falcon that she had been informed of his arrival and would appear presently he lingered putting another log on the hearth and drawing down the outer blind you prefer this country to germany asked falcon ach yes Bonswalben is a dreary place in the winter when the roads are blocked with snow and there is not a single visitor i should have thought that this place must be quite as dreary as Bonswalben in the winter said falcon the man gave his shoulders a shrug and answered civilly one does not wish for more than the good of his family her gracious ladyship has given my wife and son and daughter-in-law a home here ah said falcon the man withdrew and in a few minutes lady saxon entered she greeted falcon with a certain impetuosity of gesture which called upon the idea that she had thrown off her shackles and bade him be seated she looked anxious a little excited he thought but quite at her ease you have cut short your visits in the country he remarked oh she threw up her hands with an impatient movement heaven preserve me from male dummies and fools in petticoats have you heard my brave falcon of that irresistible longing sometimes which comes over the civilized savage to throw off his clothes and execute a war-dance in his native paint and feathers i came here to dance my war-dance you may be sure that there is nobody to tell tales you are alone then alone she repeated sharply did you suppose that i had brought lord saxon with me no i i did not suppose that lord saxon is with the duke who has a fit of the gout lord saxon is one of those amiable husbands who indulge their wives whims even when the whims are a little wounding to marital vanity 
Lord Saxon is a model of all that is agreeable in a husband. She put out her hand and took one of the sweetmeats from the casket and ate it delicately. Will you have one? They are filled with a liqueur that is as expensive as a tar of roses. Falcon politely declined the proffered luxury. Perhaps you are surprised that I should have sent for you in this sudden sort of way, Lady Saxon said in an abrupt manner. No, I am not surprised, Falcon answered grimly. Meaning, I suppose, that nothing I could do would surprise you in the least, Lady Saxon said with a laugh. Well, we are Confederates, pals, I presume. We may be called in a sort of way at least for one particular purpose. Yes, Falcon said, with the face of unabated gloom. You don't seem as if you altogether liked it. I am not good at paying compliments, Lady Saxon. I don't want compliments. You may believe I have had my share of them already. Well, I sent for you because I was impatient to know what was going on at Stonehenge Park. Who are there, and what are they doing? I came down here to be near at hand, if there was anything that had to be done. What could there be to be done? Falcon asked. That is exactly what I want to know. Where there are plots, there can be counterplots. I don't know that anything could be called a plot is going on at Stonehenge Park. There are talks, and perhaps arrangements, about the property claims. Stuff! I don't care about that. I wouldn't have come in this secret way down to this place to hear about some trumpery money claims. Tell me of what I want to know. But, Lady Saxon, I don't understand what you mean. I am too dull to guess. What is it that you want me to tell of? Tell me about the plans for marrying off your princess. That is what interests me. Tell me about them. There are no such plans, Falcon exclaimed angrily, and with the face literally darkened by emotion. Who has dared to say that there are any plans like that? You are too simple for this world, General Falcon. I tell you that there are such plans. I will tell you what it seems you don't know, although it is all going on under your very eyes. The priests want your princess to marry Lord Stonehenge. She herself wants to marry young Bellarmine. Ah! Oh, he exclaimed, and he clenched his hand. Yes, in her heart, she would like to marry him. She is only a woman, your princess, and he is handsome and young and fascinating. Oh, yes, I can read a woman's heart as well as the heart of a man. Lady Saxon, he, a man of low birth, of no position? Oh, are you then a prince in disguise, General Falcon? It is not only men of royal lineage who may presume to love your Mary Stuart, but you need not be unhappy about Bellarmine. If it ever comes to a serious question with her, and if she has any pride, I shall be able to settle that matter. You, Lady Saxon? How? Never mind. All in good time. But now, now there is another. Now, I am certain, my heart tells me, Victor Champion wants to marry her. He does. He is there. Is he not Victor Champion? He is there already. Yes. He is there, but I believe he has only come to patter politics with these other men. He could not have the audacity to hope. 
the audacity to hope and he the greatest englishman of his time the audacity to hope what general falcon hopes yes my poor falcon as your princess sometimes calls you yes the great man intends to marry your princess if he can he shall not by god falcon exclaimed i am glad i have stirred you up at last general falcon i thought i should find you sensitive but how may i ask do you intend to prevent it if she doesn't marry champion she will marry stonehenge or bellarmine it will be all the same for you i will do anything to prevent it he exclaimed and he let his hand fall heavily on the table well you will have perhaps soon to exert all your powers whatever they are in that way now i will speak out to you i will act on the square as they say i don't mean to let her marry bellarmine i don't want her to marry champion i couldn't endure that i would rather kill her or myself than have that happen but for the rest i don't care whom she marries or when she marries or what happens to her in this world or the next i wish you wouldn't speak of her in that manner falcon said sternly it is not right for me to hear it a sense of the degradation of his alliance with lady saxon was aroused in him as he heard the woman thus speak of his princess lady saxon understood him and changed her tone i am sorry if i have hurt you in any way she said gently although she can laugh at you when she is in the mood for laughter which i fancy is pretty often let us leave her out of our talk as much as we can yes yes forgive me but as you see i have my own feelings too and sometimes they are too strong for me well i want you to be on guard to keep your eyes and ears open to see who walks with her most and talks to her most i can't play the spy lady saxon that is not at all in my line falcon interposed with a certain dignity play the spy she said contemptuously he calls it playing the spy just to observe what lover comes nearest to the woman he himself loves oh how you degrade her and me falcon groaned have you no influence over her can't you get her away from stonehenge park get her out of champion's way i wish we had her here she went on in a lighter tone and all the while she kept her eyes fixed on falcon's face what a charming bower this would be for a captive steward princess how safely she might be immured here kept in gentle and honourable captivity by some gallant bothwell who wished to save her from political plotters and prevail on her to marry him what a charming and romantic notion she is a romantic young princess too i fancy the enterprise itself would have a charm for her see general falcon she rose from her chair and went to the window drawing aside the curtains that veiled it see how lonely it is in this bay look at the descent of that cliff on which our eyrie is perched look how far down the sea breaks at its feet who could come near her without her faithful jailer's consent and see my little schooner yacht below how temptingly it spreads its wings how easily a yachting excursion might be planned and the yacht come to an anchor here 
one would not need here a company of armed bordermen to enact the bothwell episode general falcon followed her to the window he too looked out upon the blue hazy sea and down at the tarn-like bay the lonely cliffs to the left and right he turned abruptly away and paced moodily up and down the room then he stopped in front of her lady saxon he said have you any purpose in these strange words yes she answered boldly i have a purpose but the time is not ripe for it yet nor are you my good falcon ripe for it either they were both silent falcon's face worked with emotion a vision of an earthly paradise opened itself before him his mary his queen a captive in his power alone with him in this wild place to be won by his daring by his passionate entreaties by his deep respect by his ardent love the bare thought was intoxicating lady saxon watched his face a kind of reflex emotion kindled in hers if she herself might only be borne away hither by the man that she loved then let the world go by i wanted you to see this place she said presently that is one reason why i sent for you here if you come to think of any way in which it might be of use to you in your plans i shall be happy to lend it to you for a week or two the servants are to be trusted falcon made no answer he appeared to be considering deeply lady saxon left the window and seated herself on the couch which was covered with the leopard skin come here she said i want to talk to you i want to hear about champion how long has he been at stonehenge something less than a week and bellarmin a little longer a week she repeated and he never told me that he was going does he talk with her hang about her behave like a lover you know what i mean i am speaking of champion it appears so but he is interested in everything that is new fresh picturesque her birth her position the historical associations all this would attract him he has such an extraordinary power of projecting his sympathies it is his temperament i know him so well you know him so well repeated falcon slowly it does not mean love lady saxon went on as if speaking to herself and taking no notice of falcon's interruption he is not a man to lose his heart to a girl he who her mind framed the words he who loved me but she said aloud he who since he became a widower might have married any woman in england had he chosen but the name is historic he might fancy that such a marriage would increase his power it would be a mistake he could not gain anything from her but it is possible that his imagination might mislead him his first marriage was a sacrifice to ambition falcon heard her in grim silence then both were silent for a few moments the minds of both were travelling swiftly through the region of possibilities lady saxon heaved a sigh rather of satisfaction than alarm she was not afraid champion was once more under her influence this time she could defy ambition 
when does he leave stonehenge park she asked turning on falcon almost fiercely to-morrow i understand the house has already met falcon's tone seemed to indicate resentment at sir victor's absence from his parliamentary post mere routine business said lady saxon impatiently and bellarmin he too goes to-morrow but they do not travel together sir victor takes an early train what about bellarmin and champion lady saxon questioned have they come to any agreement any political agreement you know the rumors i neither know nor care anything about your parliamentary intrigues except in so far as they concern the stuart claims but you can observe you know at least whether these two have had any private conversation they walked together for some time on the terrace one morning i should say they had been talking politics and that bellarmin is favourably disposed toward champion's views whatever they may be ah lady saxon seemed to be considering deeply presently she abruptly changed the conversation i don't wish this visit of yours here talked about falcon bowed certainly not lady saxon there's no object in chatter not that i want to make a mystery but it would annoy me to be invaded falcon bowed again i shall return to london in a day or two she resumed we shall meet there you have not forgotten that wednesday is the date fixed for your dinner party to miss beaton no i had not forgotten lady saxon seemed moody and thoughtful after a little while general falcon took his leave refusing the luncheon which she offered him he was driven back in the direction whence he had come lady saxon had a wild impulse to waylay champion to bid him come to her at petrel's rest her heart throbbed at the thought there had been tender passages between them in london he had come to the confessional but her love made her timid she did not dare to assert her hold upon him too imperiously there was an iron hand she knew beneath the velvet glove the heart that beat under that caressing manner could be steel at times she would wind her meshes more closely round him she would make herself necessary to him she would not resent even his attentions to mary beaton her woman's craft got the better of her woman's impulse he should not dream that she suspected him that she had played the spy she told herself that she understood the reason why he had dallied at stonehenge park he did not wish to appear too eager it would not be wise to let bellarmin imagine that the trap had been laid and baited and that he was to be secured forthwith she told herself all this nevertheless she wrote to champion a letter which should meet him in london a letter in its earlier pages more political than personal ignoring the fact that he had not told her of his proposed visit to lord stonehenge but taking for granted that he had accepted the invitation in order to gain a good opportunity of getting at bellarmin's views bellarmin's adhesion obtained and with it the chance of his band being augmented by other democratic tories and also the adhesion of the extreme radical or trestle party then the whig section in the person of her husband might be cautiously attacked lady saxon gauged the situation with a keenness and grasp that might have been envied by many a trained politician 
she threw out subtle suggestions showing a man's courage and a woman's finesse she gave adroit hints concerning the wires by which certain of the political puppets might be pulled to his side he should see clearly that her influence was far-reaching that her assistance was not to be despised and then from a politician she became suddenly a woman of the world bright amusing witty she described her country house visits with a satirical humor a clever seizing of characteristic points only possible to one who had regarded life from another level it was a very well schemed letter there was a touch of veiled sentiment at the end a note of repressed passion a suggestion of regret amid all the splendors which surrounded her regret half bitter half melancholy for the beautiful past that had champion failed to be touched by it would have proved him something more than man champion's answer arrived by return of post it was couched in the brilliant tender poetic style peculiarly his own and which when he chose to employ it in winning a woman became irresistible lady saxon did not object to a certain delicate diplomatic reserve she was alive to the desirability of caution in the correspondence of a statesman at least he showed her that he understood her talent and her power and he appreciated and frankly accepted her devotion to his interests end of volume two chapter six